Well, I'm glad to be back again and uh, glad to get to talk about the book of James. Uh, we're going to start back into it today. And and uh, I'm just thankful that, that uh, you always given me the opportunity to, to study and know, like Matthew just said, it's a, it's a privilege to... Um, to, to be here, to live in this country, and to be able to worship the way we worship and uh, believe the way that we believe. And anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back teaching. We finally reached chapter 2, finally talked through the whole, the whole book, or the, whole chap- the first chapter of James, and we're going to get into chapter 2, and we'll start there today, and I want to read the first four verses, and then we'll kind of recap. James chapter 2, and it's starting in verse 1. It says, My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes so that you say, Sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, Stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges? With evil thoughts. Before we get into that, I want to recap on some of the things that we've learned in the in the first chapter, and uh, just make sure that we have a little bit of understanding going into chapter two. We discovered in this book, in the writing of James, in the Epistle of James, that it's a book of tests to see if we have genuine faith, if our salvation is real. And through the first chapter, there were several tests, such as the first test being how, how we handle trials. Do we count it all joy? The second test was how we handle temptation to remember that, it's, uh, that we're not tempted by our Creator. That's, um, that's something of our own, our own doing. And the third test was how we receive the words, how we receive the word of Yahweh. Were we, were we just hearers only or were we doers of the word also? These are all tests to determine or to val- validate our salvation. But remember those tests, or these tests, are not given for someone else to judge us with. They're rather a test that, are, that, that we read to look at ourselves, to expect our own lives, our own salvation, and to make sure that we're in the faith. I hope that over the last couple of months, we, as we've been going through the, the first chapter of James, that, that you've been testing yourself and examining yourself to see if there are any changes that need to be made. And I hope you've been looking into the perfect law of liberty, as James puts it in the end of the first chapter and seeing if we need to do some uh, critiquing on our own, our own personal lives. As we start into chapter 2 today, we're going to be shown another test that we can reconcile our faith with. And this is the test, test of favoritism, or impartiality, if you will. In other words, how we react to people is another test of our faith. Favoring people because of their money, social status, education, fame, etc., all of this favoritism is a failing of the test. If you favor somebody based on their outward appearance, how much money they have, what their job is, any of that stuff, if you favor one person over another, brother over another, then it's a failing of the test. Most of the time when we think of Yahweh, we think of his mercy. We think of his righteousness, his grace, his being just, his sovereignty, his love. But there's another attribute, attribute that Yahweh possesses that we don't think about often, and that's impartiality. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, Yahweh is Lord of lords, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. The KJV renders it, he regards no persons. See, Yahweh is not a respecter of persons. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, Jehoshaphat is instructing the judges on how to judge the people, and he tells them in verse 7, To let the terror of Yahweh be on you, 
and watch what you're doing, for there is no injustice or partiality or taking bribes with Yahweh, our mighty one. In other words, judge fairly for the rich and the poor, for the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, in Deuteronomy 10:17, For Yahweh your Almighty is Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome Elohim, showing no partiality and taking no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widows, and he loves the foreign resident, giving him food and clothing. You also must love the foreigner, since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. See, Yahweh, he shows no favoritism in the judgment of others and the care for the widows or the foreigners. Now, I know that these two verses that I've brought out, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and 2 Chronicles chapter 19, is speaking specifically of judgment and caring for one another. Yahweh doesn't show favoritism in those two aspects. But in Matthew chapter 5:45, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So he's not impartial in his mercy either. And what about impartial impartiality towards salvation? Does the rich man have a better chance than the poor man in salvation? Or does the Judite have a better shot than those of the nations? No. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 and verse 35, Peter said, Peter says this, In truth I, re- I perceive that Yahweh shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Yahweh shows no favoritism or partiality to anyone, whether in care for others, sin and judgment, mercy or salvation. We as people show favoritism towards others based on outward appearance and status, but Yahweh only looks at the inner person. He doesn't look at the clothes a man wears or the truck he drives or the job he has. He doesn't give a special blessing to somebody because he's rich or another special blessing to somebody else because he's poor. That's how we do it, but not how Yahweh is. He's not a respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, the very person of Yahweh was revealed in his own son, Yeshua of Nazareth. And if Yahweh is a respecter of persons, we should see it in the life of his only only begotten son. In Luke chapter 19, he assures salvation to Zacchaeus, or at least he says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. In Luke 15, 2, it was said of him that he ate with sinners. In John chapter 8, Yeshua forgave the adulterous woman or the woman caught in adultery. I don't see favoritism in the lifestyle of our Lord, at least not based on any external reason, like whether or not somebody's rich or poor. It's just not an attribute of Yahweh. It wasn't an attribute of the Messiah, and it shouldn't be an attribute of ours. As a matter of fact, it's sin, according to James in chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, if you show partiality, you commit sin. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 19, it says, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality. The KJV says again, you shall not respect persons, nor take a bribe. And in Proverbs 28 and verse 21, It says to have respect of a person is not good. Clearly, it's not an attribute of Yahweh to show favoritism or partiality, and therefore it shouldn't be an attribute of ours in our personal life, nor in the church. So with all that being said, we find the test how we react to people as a test of our faith. If if our faith is genuine, we will not favor certain people because of their outward appearance or because they're rich or poor. That's the test that we're looking at today. And I will start going through it, I guess, verse by verse of the first four verses.
So again, let's read uh, Deuteronomy, I mean, uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 again. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brothers, hold, hold your faith in our glorious Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on that man wearing the fine clothes so that you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says here in verse 1, my brothers, he says this to get their attention. It's emphasis. He says, my brothers, he says this throughout the whole epistle of James, specifically in chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, consider it a great joy, my brothers. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, my brothers, he's doing this to get their attention. He says, my brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord without showing favoritism. What does that mean? It means that having faith in Christ and showing favoritism to your brother is completely contradictory. One, one won't work with the other. You can't say that I have faith in Christ, and then you have favoritism towards one or another of your brothers. It's a test. You can't have faith in Christ and be partial. If we say, if if we say we believe in our Lord and Master, then we ought to be like Him. We ought to walk like Him. We ought to talk like Him. We ought to look like Him in some ways, and then we definitely ought to practice the things that He practiced. And we ought to, and we have already seen that the impartiality was not Him, was not a part of His character in the two or three verses that I mentioned. In other words, hold on to your faith in him by being like him. That's what James is saying in verse 1. It says, my brothers, hold your faith. Hold on to your faith by being like, like Yeshua. If you show partiality to one brother or another, you can't pass this test. And I don't know if anybody else in here is guilty of that, but I definitely am. I definitely am. I look at somebody and sometimes I think, man, I wouldn't be caught dead soon with that guy. You know, that's, that's, not the, that's not how we should be. We should look at the poor man like the rich man. Their outer appearance or outer being shouldn't have anything to do. Yahweh's looking at the heart of a man, not his clothes. Then he gives us a, a, an example. James does. In verse 2, he gives us an example of partiality. We'll read it again. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. When he says suppose a man comes into your meeting, the word is sunagage in the Greek. That's for Frankie. Synagogue in the Greek, it means actually synagogue or a meeting place. It could be uh, the words, I don't think that word's translated church very often, but James does use the word church in chapter 5 and verse, uh, I think it's verse 14, when he says call for the elders of the church. It's not the exact same word, but I think, I think the same implications are meant here. Anyway, it just means meeting place, and it's a reference to an assembly or a church. A man walks into your assembly wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. And here the Greek literally means a gold-fingered man. It doesn't mean that he's wearing necessarily a gold ring, but rather that his whole finger was covered in gold. And it's actually, it's actually, um, it was common that the Israelites or the, the Judite people in the, in the first century would wear gold rings and things like this to uh, build a social status, to make themselves look good. And they would actually wear rings on their thumbs and all four fingers with the exception of their middle finger, with, with this, according to some articles and stuff that I've read. And, there, and, and another thing is history tells us that there was places where you could rent these rings. And, and like Jerusalem, when they, would, they, when they would want to dress up, you could, buy, you could buy fine apparel, and if you couldn't afford rings, gold probably wasn't 
actually it was it was very popular, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be easy obtained. Most people were poor, you know, and so they would wear silver rings, or they would wear maybe gold rings, but they would rent them. And there were places that would actually rent these rings. So anyway, wearing rings show you know it would show the the prestige of a person, but not only this man he's not only just wearing rings. He's, he's got a Mr. T starter kit on, you know. I mean, he's all decked out in gold the way that James describes him. He's got him all decked out in gold, and he says that he also is wearing fine apparel. And that Greek word, Frankie, is a lamp frost. It means bright, shining, or loud, glittery, sparkly, or just brilliant colors. When, it, when I read it, I think, of a, I think of Brother Lamb when he came down for Tabernacles about three or four years ago. He was here, and, and he had three different outfits that I've seen him wear, and uh and I remember, I remember him, one of them was gold, and it was bright and shiny. And I, and I thought, man, check that outfit out. But anyway, he wore gold. He gold out a big, you know, bright gold outfit. And uh, what if I told Brother Lamb, come up here and sit on the front row. This is where you need to be seated because you look so nice in your gold outfit. But either, either way, the, the scripture says that, that he would be wearing something fancy. And he would wear, have jewelry all over him. He would be adorned. And it says that, that he dressed in fine clothes and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes. So anyway, and the same word about the fine clothes right there, that same word is used of the angel in Acts chapter 10 that appeared to Cornelius. It talks about brilliant, so just something fancy. I guess if, if somebody walked in here with a suit, maybe today you would think about a preacher that wore a suit versus a man that wore blue jeans and a t-shirt at church or something like that. I don't know how we would parallel it, but maybe something like that. And also let me mention here that there's nothing wrong with being rich. Job, Abraham, Joseph, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, they were all rich. They were all righteous in faith. Even Lydia, maybe Lydia in Acts chapter 16, if you're familiar with Lydia, she was a seller of purple garments. She had, a, she had her own business, probably had, probably had a little bit of money, and she was a believer. Paul spoke to her, and, and I believe that she was saved or added to the number down by the river. So just because somebody's rich doesn't make them wrong. They need to hear the gospel also, so we shouldn't want to throw sackcloth on these people when they walk in the door and make them look like the rest of us poor folks. But being rich is not a problem. If it weren't for rich people, they wouldn't be able to give anything to the poor. On the flip side of our example, the second part of verse 2 says, A poor man dressed in dirty clothes walks in. The word poor comes from the Greek word patokos, and it means that he's a beggar. It doesn't just mean that he's poor. It means that he literally is a beggar. He's very poor. He probably stinks, and he hasn't had a bath in a few days. He's dirty. He doesn't have any money. And in today's time, we might um, we might compare him to somebody who lives under a bridge or sleeps on a park bench or something like that. This man's at the bottom of the social structure, and he's probably avoided by most people. But I asked you, is it wrong to be poor? Absolutely not. I told you about some of the rich people in the Bible, but I think most of the people were poor. For the, for the most part, everybody you read about in the Scriptures are poor. In Acts chapter 2, the people who had anything were selling their possessions and giving them to the poor. And James here in chapter 3, I mean in chapter 2 in the 5th verse, it says, Didn't Yahweh choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom that he had promised to those who love him? So there's nothing wrong with being poor. Paul, Paul said he knows what it's like to have a little bit, and he knows what it's like to have a lot, and he's learned to be content with both. He'd been in both, both situations in life. Let's look at uh let's look at Philippians chapter four. Starting in verse ten, I want to read it. Philippians four verse ten, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. 
You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any of all, in in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do things through Him who strengthens me. Still, you do well by sharing with me in my hardship. So it's okay to be rich, and it's quite common to be poor. It's quite okay to be poor. So where's the problem? Where's the problem at? Well, it comes in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes, so that you say, Sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, Stand over there, or sit here on the floor by the footstool. That's where the problem's at. The problem's found here. When it says you look with favor, what does that mean? It means you show partiality to someone. You look with favor upon the rich man rather than the poor man. James says this is where we mess up. When the man with the gold on his fingers comes in, you think to yourself, now this is a man of social status. He may bring prominence into our church or into our assembly or some kind of money or some kind of help. He may even bring some kind of social status. But this poor man, he doesn't have anything to offer. We discussed a minute ago that he probably was a beggar. Matter of fact, he's a man of needs. He's not a man to, a man to give anything. He's not in a position to give. He stinks. Nobody wants to be around him for fear that they may be classed with him, I guess. Then James says, you tell the rich man to sit over here in front, on the front row by the pastor so he can hear and so that he can see better. But you tell the poor man, you sit right here by my footstool Stoop down low, below the top of the pew, so nobody can see you. So if somebody of great prestige walks in, they'll see the rich man sitting on the front row, and they'll say, man, I feel at home here, let me stay. And they won't see the poor man that sits up there, and they think, I don't want to be classed with that man, let me leave. Didn't Yahweh make both creatures? The same mighty one that clothed one in fine linens and others in rags. He allowed one to wear gold rings and he allowed the other to beg. And who are you to look down on one and exalt the other? This is what unbelievers do. This is right the opposite of what Yahweh does. We discussed last time I taught about him taking care of the widows and the orphans. The scripture says that he's their champion. That Yahweh is the champion of the widows and the orphans. Widows and orphans are the same as the poor beggar that's wearing dirty clothes. In, In the days, in biblical days, Widows outside of the church or, or, or just widows in general, they would have been poor. Their lifeline was their husband, that's who took care of them, or their children, or something like that. Orphans didn't have a mother and a father, and so likewise they would be poor also. So, so they're no different than a beggar, and Yahweh says he's the champion of the widows and the orphans. Is he not the champion also of the beggar? James says that if we take care of the widows and the orphans, that is true religion. That's pure and undefiled religion. James 1.27 is where he says that. He says it is true faith showing no favoritism. James also says Yahweh resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. In James chapter 4 and verse 6. Do you remember the Beatitudes? I think Matthew has taught, taught on them not too long ago in Luke chapter 6. It says this. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, This is the Messiah talking. Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of the Almighty is yours. 
Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, because they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. Take note, your, your reward is great in heaven, because this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. See, blessed is the poor man. Look at the comparison right here. In verse 24 it says, Woe to you who are rich because you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are full now because you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now because you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you because this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Woe to the man who is rich. And woe to the man who people speak well of, but blessed is the man who is poor. Yahweh sees it a little different than we do. So James says, if you look with favoritism on either either one of these men, you have committed sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors, as we read earlier in James chapter 2 and verse 9. Because by doing so, you become a judge with evil thoughts and discrimination. See, the sin is judging one another with partiality in mind. These are all, these are all brothers in this synagogue. James speaks to them. As brothers, he, he's, he's teaching brothers. They're all, they're all brothers in the synagogue. They're all there for the same reason. All are brothers of the Messiah. But one has money and the other has to beg. How can the one who's, who has a lot say to the one who has a little, why do you have so little? Is it not Yahweh that gives the rich man his possessions? Is it not Yahweh? Had he not given the rich man what he had, would he not be a beggar like the man wearing the smelly clothes that hadn't took a bath and didn't have the means to do better for himself? I'm reminded of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. I think uh, Matthew may have mentioned it earlier in his prayer. The, the Pharisee in Luke 18 that prayed boastfully and the tax collector that was humble. The, the Pharisee was thankful that he wasn't like the tax collector, but the tax collector recognized that he was, he was just a sinner same as the Pharisees should have recognized. Folks, we don't have control over, over over what Yahweh makes out of us. We don't have control whether or not we have tons of money or a little bit of money or have nice clothes or a little or you know rags that we wear. We don't have control over that. Neither the poor man nor the rich man. We don't have control. If we have true faith, we wouldn't tell the poor man to sit in the corner beside the footstool anyway. We would offer him a bath. And we would give him clothes. And we would help him to be comfortable and be decent to sit beside. It's not a bad thing to take a bath before you come to church. I don't recommend that people just quit bathing so they look like the poor man that Yahweh show favor on them. But some people don't have the means, and that's okay. James's point is this. He's no less of a man because he couldn't take a bath or he couldn't buy new clothes. I, I know my kids tell me this all the time. They say, hey, you wore that last week. And I think, hey, I don't care. It's clothes. I don't like clothes. I don't even like shopping for clothes. It's not something that I care anything about doing. I could wear the same outfit every week to church, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. Matter of fact, I do it most of the time. If y'all hadn't noticed, I'm just kidding. I change my shirts, wear the same jeans. I don't care. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me. But I know for some people, it does. It uh, it matters. They want to, You want to wear something different, or you want to look better than somebody else. And it's just... It's not something that bothers me. It's not something that I struggle with. However, it doesn't matter if you want to wear different clothes. Don't look don't look bad on the people who don't have but one, you know, one set of clothes. 
and uh, may not have but one set of shoes. That's all, they, that's all they got. Or they don't have but one vehicle, and they have to drive it every time. They don't have two or three vehicles. That doesn't make them a lesser person because they, because they don't have money. At least not on the inside. Yahweh looks at the inward part of a man. James says further down in verse 15 and 16, If a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? What good is it to tell somebody to have a good day or have a good life or to eat well or to be warm or to look nice, but yet you don't give them the means to do so? We will get in, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through that, and I don't want to cover it a lot now, but that was the, that's the attitude of a, of a believer. And that should be the attitude of us. That was the attitude of the believers in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. The Bible says this. Now the multitude of those who believed are of the heart and soul, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. And then it says in verse 34 that there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned land or houses, they sold them. They brought the proceeds of all that they sold. They laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was distributed to each person who had need. There weren't needy people in the church. You can remedy that by the rich people helping the needy people out. This should be the attitude of the saints. We, should, we shouldn't show partiality. Even, even though we're all guilty of it, we shouldn't show partiality. We shouldn't do it. We should be equally loving, equally caring, and equally giving to every one of Yahweh's children. Showing favoritism is separating or dividing the assembly. That's what it does. If you, uh, if, you, if you get clicky in here or in any church and you say, well, this man, I don't want to hang out with him or I don't want to go out to eat with him or I don't want to sit on the same pew with him because, hey, man, he, he doesn't talk like me, he doesn't look like me, I don't want to be associated with him, that divides churches. It, 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 it tears things apart. It, it ruins friendships, and, uh, and it's not the love of Yahweh. Showing favoritism is something that we shouldn't do. We should be uniting as one, loving, loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's not wrong to have much, and it's not wrong to have a little. Yahweh's not a respecter of persons in that, in that attribute. Yahweh doesn't show favoritism, and his example, Yeshua, did not show favoritism either. If we do it, we fail the test. We become judges with evil intentions, like the last part of verse 4 says. Let's not judge amongst the brothers and not be condemned by committing the sin of favoritism. Instead, let's be like-minded towards one another. And receive each other equally with open arms the same way that our Lord received us. Let's pray in this minute. Yahweh, Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your blessings, Father. I thank you for all your love and your compassion. Father, I thank you that I, that I have more than one outfit to wear to church. Even if I don't choose to wear it, Father, I'm thankful for that. I, I give you praise and honor and glory for all the little things. These things are small and and uh, we make them big in our lives, Father, but I pray that you would change our heart and change our mind, that when we look at that somebody else, that we don't see the outward appearance of somebody or how much money they have or where they work or who they claim to be, but, Father, we see the inward part of a person and we look upon their heart like you would and like your son would and, and see the beauty inside of somebody and respect them and, and love them for that, not for not for what they're worth. Father, I pray that you'd give, that you'd give me a heart of, of compassion like this and that you would, that would help me to grow and to be what you'd have us to be. Father, I pray as we leave here today that you keep all of us safe and let us come back next Sabbath and, and do your will and be a steward of your word and participate in what you've, what you've given us, Father.
I just pray that you love us first so that we can love you in return. Father, I ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name.